Welcome to the Law School Admissions Simplified Podcast, where we talk about all things LSAT, law school admissions, and otherwise. I'm Ben Parker, and I do LSAT prep and law school admissions full-time. If you like what we do here, you can find me on Instagram, where I post about the admissions process at LSA Simplified, or see everything I'm up to on my website, lsasimplified.com. I've written an LSAT book you can find on Amazon, which is called LSA Simplified's LSAT Primer. I also host free LSAT sessions once a month, as well as paid monthly courses, tutoring, and on-demand options for LSAT preppers. Alrighty, so today we're uh, going through an interview with uh, Breeze Velasquez. She is a current applicant, but she got admitted to Yale, so we talked about that. Um, there are a few edits throughout the episode, just because, you know, there were some identifying things that, you know, we didn't want in, or just things that we wanted to cut out. So because of that, there might be a few kind of bumpy moments. I tried to make it as smooth as possible, but I'm not an audio engineer and it took me long enough to get it to the point it's at. Um, so yeah, otherwise, uh, thank you, Breeze, for coming on and I hope you all enjoy. Alrighty, hey everyone, this is Breeze. I did a little bit of LSAT with her, not a whole lot, but she's really exciting because she has had success this admission cycle and really improved both her application process from last year, as well as her LSAT, which is always what we're about. So yeah, I guess um, briefly, Breeze, who are you? Where are you from? All that fun stuff. Oh, fun. Okay. So hi, everyone. Thank you so much for the introduction, Ben. I'm Breeze um, Velasquez. I'm from La Punta, California, which is a pretty small town in LA County, like very outskirts of LA County. Um, I graduated UCLA uh, 2022, and I'm currently applying to law school. Cool. And um, so you graduated in 2022, which means, you know, we are currently, what, about a year and a half from graduation. Uh, you applied last year. What was the deciding factor? Because you got some decent acceptances last year. What made you decide to, uh, like, I guess, retake the LSAT and reapply? Yeah. So, I mean, last year I had only taken the GRE. So I was kind of going in only with that mindset. I, you know, got an acceptance, a couple acceptances, but honestly, they weren't giving me the A that I wanted. And I, you know, have always kind of wanted to go eventually into nonprofit law, um, pro bono work. But I think that, you know, I was really worried because I knew that having crippling debt is something that I just didn't want for my life. Even if I had gone into big law, like after law school, I just didn't want to have to feel like I was working for something that, you know, at the end of the day, I can't be assured that is going to pay within a certain amount of years. So um, I ultimately decided to reapply once I had my acceptances and the aid offers. Um, and that's when I kind of started my LSAT journey. Um, I started even a bit earlier. I would say I started around mid-February, early March, because around that time, I had already been receiving a lot of, like, rejections, wait lists at that time, like, even before my acceptances had come in, um, and, you know, I took my diagnostic score, and it was a 143, and that's kind of where it all began, and I realized, like, okay, I have to put in a lot of work to get where I need to be by the end of um, this cycle and next cycle, because I was going, initially, I was going to try to get off wait lists, but then I realized that it would be a better use of my time to just fully focus on the LSAT and preparing better material and reapplying this cycle. Yeah, well, I think, I, I don't know. I'm such a hater on the waitlist whole plan. Like when people talk about Loki's and all that crap, I'm like, don't do that. If you're getting in off the waitlist, you're getting in through the back door and you want to get in through the front door because that's where the scholarship money is. But I don't know, that's just my personal like law school application, I guess, dogma. 
Um, but so, okay, I didn't realize that your LSAT journey was a lot shorter than I thought it was. Um, when did you start with that diagnostic? Was that like earlier this year? Yeah, so it was um, mid-February, I want to say. That's when I first took that diagnostic score. Um, and again, it was very low. So I realized like a lot needed to get done. Um, and that's when I kind of started tackling section by section. Um, but I would say one of the biggest things for me was I really made it a mission, like a, a must do that I needed to study LSAT every day. Um, and that's why I think I saw progress so quickly, because I think even missing, like I would honestly, I know like usually people suggest take like one day a week. I would do it like every nine days. Like when I honestly felt like, okay, I can't do LSAT anymore. That's when I would take like a one day break and then hit the books again. Um, but it was constantly like this realization, like, okay, I need to make sure that I make that, that shift in my score quickly. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a pretty difficult process. I will say like, I lost a lot of like my social life. It was very much me and my LSAT studying and that was it every day. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, well, I'm glad it worked out. Obviously it was time well invested because it didn't end up going well for you. Um, starting. So yeah, you had that lower diagnostic. Was that concerning when you got that back? Like, did you have any doubt about being able to like reach your score? Or did you just know that if you put in the work, you would get there? Oh no, I was so scared. Like I remember right after I took that diagnostic score, I was like, okay, well, if worse comes to worse, like I will be able to, you know, hopefully get into a law school. That was like before I had gotten my acceptance, um, which I got until later in the cycle, but I was just kind of like, okay, well, how am I going to go about this? And I looked a little bit on like on the online forums and I saw that everyone suggested I start off with logic games. And honestly, those were pretty quick to see progress then. Um, by the end, I I had honestly scored the lowest in logic games when I started. I think I got like five or six points out of the 23. It was very low. And, you know, after probably like two to three weeks, I was already scoring like between 16, 18. Um in like a few weeks later, I was already like 20, 21. And from there, I was like, okay, let me move on to the next section, which was LR. So it, I really did think that logic games was one of the quickest ways to get like those points up. But because my right. LR and RC were like around the 14 to 15 range, that's when I actually needed to put in work because I feel like LR was one of the most difficult sections to improve on, but it ended up being like my favorite section on the test. Yeah. Yeah. LR gets fun. And it, yeah, it is funny because people, they sit down with games and it's such a nightmare, but it like once you start seeing like, oh, you really can figure out how these variables interact with each other and how, when you know something about one of them, it impacts the others. You do start to get those like really quick games where like you can pick up 18 points in the matter of like three weeks, like you were talking about. Whereas yeah. like no one's going from minus 18 in LR to perfect in three weeks. Like it just does not happen. Um, So it is kind of wild. Uh. Yeah, I mean, it is funny because people are so, there are a lot of people dancing on the grave of logic games, which I think is amusing because it's like, guys, like that was the easiest section of the test in terms of like just consistency. You sit, you get in, you're going to do fine no matter what. Um, but, you know, people have their opinion. And I don't know, maybe there are some people to which that is really true. Like people are wired differently, but who knows? Um, so that's good. And then, yeah, you said you were studying most days. Obviously you took a day off. You said about once every nine to like kind of reboot when necessary. Um, what was your study routine like? Like, were you relatively full-time or was it just a little bit each day? No, just a little bit each day. I mean, I was working full-time the entire time that I've been studying for the LSAT. So I would say I would try to do probably an hour during my lunch break at work. And then I would try to do two to three hours after work, which was pretty difficult, but it was like 
very much like, okay, around like 9, 30, 10, I would close my books and then like just relax for the night to go into work the next day. Um, I also, it's nice because my job, I'm like half remote, half have to go into the office. So it's one of those things where like I kind of did take advantage. Don't tell my manager this, but I did take advantage of some of the days I was a bit more remote to do probably three or four hours instead of like the two to three that I would do the other days. Um, and on the weekends, I would do probably around five to six on Saturdays. And Sundays would be kind of a review day slash. I tried to be a bit easier on myself. I would do like three right. in the morning and then give myself the rest of the day to just do fun activities. Yeah. And, and three to a four hour morning, that's still like not a light Sunday, I would say. Like you're still <laughs> putting in the work, um, which is, I'd say, promising for your legal future that you consider that like a nice light Sunday morning to relaxing I know a lot of people are like they're waking up at 11 on a Sunday so um you still I, I enjoyed going to coffee shops that was like my favorite thing to do so it was like my little treat to myself like once a week I would get to go get like my matcha and my croissant and just go sit and like do work so that's why I kind yeah. of found it enjoyable yeah, found a nice routine little, like, yeah I, I also do those little tricks um my girlfriend thinks I have a caffeine addiction because I've got these behind me I just take caffeine straight pill format i don't drink coffee but i probably consume like 600 to 800 milligrams a day which i've been told is unhealthy but i don't believe it um so yeah i mean it's my little thing where like i start to go through, through withdrawal if i'm not in my office um which i don't know you can i guess say maybe that's healthy maybe it's not um but you know i think to be a lawyer having those little like type a inclinations of like oh i'm working full-time and then i'm doing the LSAT, and then on the weekends you're doing another like 10 hours aggregated probably a good sign um and if you're struggling to do your hour a day, you LSAT people, um, fix it. Like, I don't, I don't know why you can go to a coffee that. shop. <laughs> not that crazy. Um, yeah, it's one of my most irritating things where like you, you did a month of my LSAT class, just one, but mm -hmm. like you saw my homework schedule. It's not demanding. It's like, I think a bare minimum of like, Hey, here's a structure to kind of get you on. You're welcome to do more, but like at least do this. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't do it. It's like, yeah, it's, why do you think you didn't improve on the LSAT? You didn't do any LSAT. Like, of course you're not going to get better. Yeah, no, the month that we did, that ended up helping me out because by the time we were already um, speaking, I was like high 150s, low 160s. So I think like that helped me out because at that point I hadn't been doing like actual sections as much as like right. PTs. And I realized like taking individual sections is honestly where you improve the most. And then going back, so I would kind of do the sections and I formulated that for the rest of the months that we only met through June. So the other months, it was kind of like, okay, we're going to do a, I'm going to make sure that I do a section a day um, and then review everything that I missed in that section that day. Right. And then after that, I would use that. So Sunday, I could kind of go through everything I missed and rewatch like, like if it was like parallel flaws that I really struggled on that week. I could go back and watch those videos and do more questions on Sunday, just on parallel flaws. So that next week, like I could hopefully see an improvement on my section. So that's kind of how I went about it. And I really think that like, that's why I really like doing that section a day. And I, I kept doing it until I took my test, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the reason I always recommend a section a day is you get that, like PTs are great, but often by the time you're done with section three, you kind of forgot why you even picked the like LR answer you missed on section one. So when you're reviewing, you're like, oh, that's obviously wrong, but that doesn't help you. Like you need to remember like what mindset you were in, why you picked it, what like mental mistake you made, which is why I think sections are just so great. And then also this is something where you see with lower scores is people get so like freaked out by the clock to where like they're just unused to it and I mean I had one person email me and she's like oh I've been doing drills I I'm doing like I'm getting five out of five right every time I do a drill I'm like I, I have no idea what that means like are you doing like the easiest questions because like if you're doing questions one through five on LR like I would hope you're getting five out of five if you're not that's a problem 
But then all, if you're doing the last five, like 20 through 25, you're crushing it. Like you're ready to go take the LSAT. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know. Sections really kind of cut through all that because like a section's a section. They're kind of all the same without like a slight variance in difficulty, but not really. Um, so yeah, um, well, that's good. And then which LSAT did you take? Was it November or September? October. Okay, just missed it. Um, and did you just take it once or did you take it a few times? <laughs> so um, I, I was one of the people that was affected by the fiasco of LSAC. So oh, right. I, yeah. I had to retake it, but it ended up working out because I was like, okay, like that score got canceled, but it ultimately worked to my advantage that it had gotten canceled because um, yeah, honestly, like it kept going in and out and I had that extra month to study, which I left that LSAT and I was like, okay, well, I contacted LSAT. They were like, okay, we're going to cancel that score. You can take it again. Um, but I also got to see the LSAT, which was nice because then it wasn't like a shock the first time I saw it. Cause I think like the first time actually entering that room and being like, oh, I'm taking the LSAT is like the scariest part of taking the LSAT. But yeah. Okay, cool. So that was your LSAT journey. Did you know that you were going to go to law school during undergrad or was it kind of open-ended? Yeah. I mean, I, I want, I'm one of those people that's like, I wanted to be a lawyer since I was like 10 years old. So <laughs> it was always a, an idea that I had in the back of my mind. I actually, the reason why I took the GRE was for a while. Um, I kind of transitioned into like more nonprofit work and policy work. So I considered right. like getting a master's in public policy. Cause I was like, I'm probably going to be making the same money, like regardless, right. If I get an MPP versus if I get a JD and I want to do like nonprofit, but ultimately, you know, I ended up deciding that this is really what I wanted. So that's why I not even didn't even apply to um, public policy programs this past year. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus in on the JD. Yeah, and I'm curious. I'm just pulling up your resume, which um, Bree sent me for those of you listening. Just out of curiosity, what did you uh, do in undergrad? Like, what did you study? Oh, what did I study? I studied oh. public affairs and Chicano and Central American studies. So. Yeah, I like both my majors. I love public affairs most because it let me take so many interdisciplinary classes, which right. I was able to take like FM classes and like do research. So I really enjoyed my time at UCLA, but I wasn't really taking like legal courses. I think what also helped me out was that I was like, I took as many classes as I wanted. And I took like econ classes, like just stuff that interested me, which the public affairs major really allowed me to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds fascinating. It's like one of those things where I think every, I don't know, all, all like learning just fascinates me, which I, it should for all of you too. If you want to go to law school, like you're going to be a student for probably the rest of your life, learning new areas of like, you know, law and cases for whatnot. Um, Cause yeah, I, I did political science and biology. So like political science is probably kind of close to public affairs. I, I don't know. Is that like policy or like what, what is public affairs? They would, they told us it was like an interdisciplinary major, which was like econ, po political science. And I think something else I can't remember what else it was but it was you had to take like a multitude of like very liberal arts like social sciences classes um and that's what made up the public affairs major yeah oh, policy that was like another one that they added in there so yeah <laughs> so that was exciting you knew you wanted to go to law school um sounds like you want to do nonprofit work do you have interest in fighting the good fight once you graduate and doing good in the world is that the plan um yes I think so but I'm also really cognizant of like what loans are going to look like. So I'm definitely going to be like dipping my toes potentially into big law, but eventually I do want to transition. I think after like two or three years, my goal would be to transition into um, nonprofit work. I currently work at a nonprofit. So right. it's one of those things that like, I think my entire 
college trajectory was like in that route regardless and I really enjoy the work that I do and getting to work with like clients from like immigrant backgrounds so it's always something that's been interesting to me and I really do see myself doing that in the long term right and it is so um like you always hear the story of like oh I'm gonna do good work go to they go to big law for three years and then end up stuck there because like lifestyle inflation as long as you like stay stuck like true to who you are I think it can work out like just because it doesn't work out for a lot of people I don't think it's totally bad also like um for what it's worth and this is incredibly hard so i'm not saying this is like what you should do because like it's probably out of your control but if you do clerk for a supreme court justice have you heard what the sign-on bonuses are after that year at big law yeah. like you got they're paying 400 to 500k as a sign-on bonus if you are a clerk um you're kidding no i'm not kidding that's like your i mean it's tapped, so like half of that goes to the government but um but yeah. still that's 250k in your bank account after um or you know more than 250k because tax rates aren't that high but the point is, is that it's pretty wild. Obviously, clerking on the Supreme Court, not the easiest. Um, there are only nine of them, and they all only take two people. But Yale is the school where, like, you know, if you have a trajectory, that is the school where it's most likely. And Yale, from what I remember, I, like, for what's worth, for full transparency for everyone, I'm very into the admissions game. My expertise ends basically the day you start law school. Um, but, yeah, Yale's pretty little. They only have, like, 170 people per class, it looks like. So is that something you care about in terms of, like, attending a school or do you want like a bigger school no I definitely think I want a smaller class um I think like I because again my major allowed me to take classes where like there were a lot of people and there were like smaller benches of people and while like the big classes were nice because like you get to hear different points of view I also think like smaller classes are very important because you like you get to know people at an individual level and like you get to engage with them with like different thoughts and I don't know. I, I really am looking forward to going to like a smaller school. And I think you and I both talked about how, you know, the schools I'm considering are like on the smaller end. Right. So yeah. I think that's something that's very important to me. I don't, I don't want to just be a number in my class. Like I actually want to make friends and like get to know my professors better. And I think like a smaller environment will definitely enable me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely think so. And then also like you actually know the people in your class, even if you like you spent three years there, even if you're not like best friends with 170 people, everyone's probably going to know who everyone is at a bare minimum so you get that whereas like at harvard um like i want to say they're five or six hundred a class really like, i don't know you'll like recognize people but like do you actually know them like maybe the ones in your section but i don't know probably not the reason to pick a school don't go to like oklahoma state because it's like 50 people over harvard like that's a bad reason but um when all else is equal i think it can be a good consideration um so yeah you said you've been doing other stuff since undergrad have you just been yeah what have you been busy with since you graduated and waiting until law school yeah so I mean last year I was tutoring um I did that for a bit I'm still tutoring right now but I do kind of like a bit of um you know logical reasoning tutoring like just on the side and I also do um other tutoring that I still do with like high school students kind of students that are a bit more affluent students that are like applying to colleges and whatnot but it's been nice because the money's decent you know so I get to do that and I'm a legal assistant at my current job at um, MALDEF, which stands for the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund. And right. they do pay less. But again, like I'm kind of dipping my toes into everything because I actually get to do the work that I enjoy doing. And then on the weekends, I, you know, tutor kids for a bit more money. And that's really nice as well. <laughs> right. And, and life is not all about money. Um, like it's yeah. one thing that my, my girlfriend, she has a lower salary than many of her um, like graduating friends, but she really 
works relatively good hours. She has unlimited PTO. She like can work from home. It's is like, she a nonprofit she, person too? No, she she's um she works at a marketing agency. Okay. Well, she has friends like working like consulting or stuff like that. And like for one, they don't make as much money as they would lead you on to believe. Um, and then second, their lives are just like terrible. I mean, they are like legitimately making, I don't know, maybe like 80% more than her, but like also they work 12 hour days. They um do PowerPoints all day, which like I don't know. I think consulting is the biggest graph, kind of like a side note, but like, I don't believe in it. It's like, you guys make PowerPoints, like really? Um, as someone who runs a business, I tell you that like ideas are worth almost nothing. It's the execution, like saying like, oh, I'll run a podcast. Like anyone can come up with that. That's not proprietary. What's actually hard is like learning how to do it, editing it, recording it, taking the time. So you hear like, I don't know. I have a lot of, I'm 24. So I have a lot of friends that are guys with all their like genius business ideas. I'm like, guys, go start it. If you actually think you have a good idea, like execution is the whole battle the ideas are easy i have a million ideas who doesn't like we're all people observing the world we all have ideas yeah. um but that's like <laughs> one of the pet peeves is like that so and then all the people who call themselves entrepreneurs it just drives me insane like there is um i watched survivor on it's like the cbs show it's kind of dead at this point but there's this girl who's actually really cool other than the fact that she called herself an entrepreneur and it just set me off from the start i'm like what do you do don't call yourself an entrepreneur like if i went on a show i wouldn't call myself entrepreneur i'd say i'm like an lsat teacher i don't know i feel like more appropriate but also i don't know maybe i should let the world get to me lost maybe i have like things to talk about in therapy but don't believe in therapy so also something to probably touch on in therapy um but i don't know trying to be self-aware already cool cool so that's good you've been working at maldef and other stuff um and yeah i would say kind of in hindsight i know you did things a little bit differently from your first cycle to this cycle uh, when did you apply last year did you like when were you timing wise yeah, I applied everywhere. I want to say um, around January 7th, my first applications went in and the last ones went in around January 20th, 23rd. So it was like a big mix all throughout January. This year, I applied everywhere between November 6th and November 12th. So I definitely think timing helped. Uh, honestly, I don't know if it helps like that. I, don't, I was seeing some people on the subreddit saying like, oh, if you're applying in November, it's too late. And I was yeah. like, what? It's dogmatic with it. Um, well, it's one of those things where it definitely helps a little, although mm -hmm. it doesn't exaggerate it. Uh, like there are people who are like September 1st or bust. And I think that's stupid. Like you can apply September 5th and there's functionally no difference from applying September 1st. Yeah. Um, people also do take it to the other extreme where like they're now applying in April or even June. And it's like, guys, that's also a terrible plan. But yeah, I mean, I'm always a fan of if you're a little, if you're kind of in this intermediary part of the cycle, like December, January, you can always apply as long as you're emotionally mature enough to realize what a bad offer is and reject it. Um, the only people I can worry about them is when they apply in January and then they'll get like suckered in to uh, paying full price for a bad school. Just because like the difference of one year, I mean, like you got into good schools last year, but did you get any substantial financial aid or was it going to be full price at most of them? No, it was, it was going to be like around 75% of my tuition, like 75% plus the rent. And it would honestly yeah. not to like me paying full price, honestly, like when rent, yeah. food, everything goes into, I was like, that is not happening. <laughs> yeah. And loans are, yeah, this whole law school. And I almost got suckered in. So I don't feel, I, I feel for those people because honestly, I was in July and I still hadn't told the school that I wasn't going to go there. Um, yeah, I already committed and yeah. I was waiting and late July, I was like, okay, like I actually sat down with myself and I was like, they keep asking me for like my final paperwork. I haven't sent it in. So it's either send the email or not. And I just yeah. was like, okay, let me send that email. Oh, that's so funny. I have an email from you on June 19th of this year. 
where you said you uh, panicked and deposited at one of the schools you got into because um, you weren't scoring where you wanted to on the LSAT. But then you said you kept seeing your score go up and you decided like, okay, I definitely want to reapply, which is, I mean, it, it's so funny because um, yeah, the, the whole, it, it's the system. It's not the people. Like when I see people that get suckered in, because a lot of people, they, they're not total like nerds and type A people that get so into this process and they just go through, we all know them like in our poli, well, I don't know, poli sci classes where like they just apply to a law school, they get in and they're so psyched. They're like, I'm going to law school. So like, yeah, you're going to like a pretty mid law school and you're paying $200,000. I don't know if that would be a good decision, but I don't know. I don't think there's enough about like, it, it's hard to like walk that line without like bordering on just like being a hater. Cause like, you don't want to like be like in that person's Instagram comments, like this is a bad financial decision. You shouldn't do this. Cause then everyone else is like, congratulations. And you're being like the jerk. Um, but yeah, it really is amazing how much just really maxing out your potential can do. Cause like now you are into Yale and hopefully, you know, that'll end up with a really good um, financial offer. I know that's still kind of up in the weeds because of how they do things, but yeah, like what a difference not even a year can make. Um, yeah, I definitely think, and I've told this to people in the past too. I actually, <laughs> I talked my friend out of, she also is reapplying right now because she also had gotten like a not so good offer out of school. And she was also seeing like the same results I was seeing. And I was like, I talked her out of it. And she also recently got into a couple of UCs. So I'm really happy for her too, because she took the time to reapply too. And I think like, that's like the, it's like very important that you take that time and like trust your gut and like your intuition, because like only, you know, what you're capable of. And if you have an offer and you know, like, Hey, this isn't representative of like the type of work I've done in the past or like what I'm capable of doing. Like, why are you going to do that to yourself, you know, and pay that full price? Like it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. And it is funny. Um, hopefully, do you know anyone applying? Cause you're in California. For those of you that don't know, California is one of the few schools that has their own little um, I'd say like underworld of bottom feeder gross law schools, the like California bar schools. Are you familiar with these? Um, I've heard of them. I've seen some on TikTok and yeah. There's like 15. And like, if you think people dunk on Cooley, like wait until you hear about these schools. They have like 20% bar passage. It's absurd. Like average LSATs in like the 140s. They're wild. Um, But it's good to hear that even though, you know, you're out in California, they're still, they don't have too much of a hold on people. Um, Because yeah, they're really bad kind of a complete tangent but you know they're like just so atrocious it's wild um but I think they're starting to get shut down because like they're so bad although the ABA has no oversight over them because they're not even ABA accredited so like, it's kind of a problem um so yeah between your um cycles applying obviously there were some numbers changes with going from your GRE to your LSAT um other than that do you think there's anything else you did that changed like your offers yeah like honestly all of my essays completely changed um, and my outlook, I think that's one of the biggest things that helped me out is like the way my perspective changed from last year. Um, I guess we can start off with my agenda, right? I'll go through each statement and kind of talk about sure, the differences yeah. that made. Um, my agenda, last year I included a long agenda, like very long. I would say like a page long. And honestly, like I remember I showed it to my sister and she was like, honestly, this sounds like you're trauma dumping. And I was like, yeah, I kind of realized that now that I submitted this, like this does not read well. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like I'm telling them my whole life story. And at the end of the day, I think I listening to some of the podcasts, like specifically Miriam and Christie's where they were like, yeah, like we read a lot of people, like a lot of people go through rough stuff. Like we don't need to know like the ins and outs of your life. And I was like, you know what? That's right. Like, why am I going to put that out there? Like, that's my own information. And why would I want the admissions committee to read like this personal stuff about me? That's not going to make a difference in my admission. So this year I completely didn't 
include anything like that in my agenda. The only thing I submitted was again, like what we talked about, about me retaking the LSAC. I was like, oh, I canceled it because I had technical difficulties. LSAC, let let me take it again in October. And that's when I- All you need to say, like you just leave it at that. There's no, you don't have to talk about the details. And like, I was waiting for two hours. And then my proctor who was from India and and people do write stuff like that. I'm like, oh God, like, um, like, don't, don't, don't say that. well, I'm, I'm glad that, so yeah, you said you wrote that agenda. Was it just like GPA, LSAT, just like some basic? Um, yeah, I, so I only, it was only two sentences. It was for the LSAT. I would say my GPA, I didn't want to explain it because again, I my GPA was pretty decent for a lot of the schools that I was aiming for because originally yeah. like I think my goal school was like Berkeley. So I was like, okay, I'm like in that range. I didn't want to go on a tangent, especially because like we talked about it, like a lot of the scores, like my lower grades were before I went into undergrad, right? When I was taking like community college classes. So I was like, this isn't really relevant. Like, I think if they read it, they're going to know like, oh, like since like, I didn't get less than an A since like the end of my freshman year. So I'm thinking, okay, if they're going to see this, they're going to see like, I've done better and I've learned how to study and this other information, like I don't need to talk about stuff that they can see. Right. And again, that's why the podcasts were really helpful because they kind of let me know like, Hey, you don't need to tell us about the B or like the C that you got in that one class your freshman year like we already know right so don't don't call attention to stuff that doesn't need to be called attention to and that's what I did this year with my addenda yeah yeah it is so funny because it's hard and like I get that people they're coming into this they haven't done it before and it is very different from like past application stuff like um I don't know undergrad people are like so worried about like their resume and stuff and it's like it's not that it doesn't matter it's that it doesn't have the impact that people think it does. Like I'll hear people like not studying for the LSAT, but they picked up like a position at Phi Alpha Delta. I'm like, that's fine. If like you actually want to do it. But like, if you're doing this for law school applications, it ain't it. Like it's not moving the needle. Um, It'll, I think, you know, extracurriculars do help out. And I think like uh, I did a sufficient amount of extracurriculars where it's like, oh, like I was, I was a busy undergrad, right? Like I'm sure you've seen my resume. So I was, you know, doing stuff and like I was working part-time. I was doing a lot of things, but um, I don't think at the end of the day, if you're deciding between like, again, I think because I applied with the same resume, the same, like, again, different essays, but I applied with like similar things, but I saw very different, like a very different cycle last year when I didn't take the LSAT. I think that's when I really realized like, oh, the LSAT is really important because they're not going to tell you this while like all my experiences were cool. They still landed me in the rejection waitlist pile. So it, it wasn't going to do me any good. Yeah, and I should amend my statement. I'm not saying that extracurriculars don't matter. So uh, I just want to correct that for anyone who may have, you know, um, we're not, not they misheard, I misspoke. It's just that um, they're not as powerful as I think people tend to give them weight. Because I think people, well, and the other thing is everyone has this kind of, I'd say, subjective assessment that they think everyone thinks they have the best soft factors in the world. I talked to a lot of applicants, literally everyone thinks they're like a 90th percentile applicant in terms of like soft factors. And mathematically, that's just not possible. Some of you are average. Most of you are average just by the nature of things. And then half of you are below average in terms of your application materials. Uh, everyone thinks they have an awesome personal statement. Trust me, you probably don't. Um, if you, I, I still have a small enough submission file where if you want yours read on air, I can do that, which I, I've been doing. I think actually reading through personal statements, like, which I, I don't have, I, I don't expect you to have listened, but like, that's largely what I'm doing here is talking very basic LSAT stuff, but I'm not allowed to talk actual LSAT questions due to LSAT rules. Um, but yeah, I think actually going through statements saying, hey, don't say that or do stay, say that is very helpful because people can see like, here are things that work, here are things that don't, mm-hmm. um, which it sounds like that was really useful when you were applying this time because you were listening to Dean Z and um, Miriam and Christy, which are other podcasts for those of you that don't 
um, aren't familiar with them. So yeah, what was getting their advice? Like, do you think that reshaped a lot of your stuff? Yeah. Um, well that, and I also went to like a few talks that like coffee chats that the Stanford Dean had. And she specifically last year, Stanford was a school I got waitlisted at. And she specifically said that a lot of the times for reapplicants, she's looking for your growth. And she's like, I'm not looking. She's mm -hmm. like, if like you have like maybe a waitlist last cycle, like we're more so looking for like how you change as an individual. And I think last year I had a very, not going to say like a negative outlook, but I, you know, was very much coming from a background of like being a student organizer and doing like, you know, right. different things within my campus. And um, honestly, not having like a, I guess like the the viewpoint of like seeing different points of view. And I think this year, like my views have changed a lot. And I see a lot more nuances now that I work within the legal field that I'm like, okay, like I don't need to start a war with someone if I don't agree with them I don't need to like yeah. get upset or like do all these things and I think that I showed like a lot of maturity and growth this year in my personal statements like reading last year's I was like oh like I sound very immature very different than I do now now that I've gained more experience and I'm like this is how I'm going to communicate and this is how I'm going to get my points across without starting you know world war three out here <laughs> so right yeah well yeah, I, I think that was definitely especially like being a politically engaged person be like very motivated and very like strongly believing things but then also like as you do mature um well I don't know I used to get an Instagram comment fights in hindsight and like it was so dumb because like you're never changing anyone's mind you're just like wasting your time and the other person's time half the time I mean you're good at the LSAT now you realize like you're talking to someone who doesn't play by the rules of reality and they're just like denying like facts about the world it's like okay how do you even have a conversation with someone where like you can't agree on the same world um and yeah, I used to, uh, for what it's worth, I was kind of a neutral bystander in college. I would um, let the two, so I was a policy major and there were um, the Bernie bros and the Turning Point kids. I don't know if you guys have Turning Point at UCLA, but it's like a right-wing kind of um, group of kids and then, you know, all the Bernie, and they would just go at each other in class. And I would just like sit back and watch it because I thought it was so funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but also you're like looking at these, you like just know in 10 years, if they could watch this back, they would be cringing because some of the stuff they're saying. And more so it's like guys we're here for like a lecture on like iran and they're like arguing about like Palestine. i'm like guys this is not relevant well i don't know tangentially but like not really what we're about um so yeah that's good and yeah that is interesting that the growth is what they spoke to um so hopefully things go well at stanford obviously it's really tricky at the top even if you're a good applicant just because they yeah. get so many great people for so many few spots um and yeah, I guess you are a California person originally. Would Stanford tempt you if you did get an offer from them away from y'all? Oh God. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult because um my family's out here. Um, and my significant other, he's also applying to a lot of grad programs like Berkeley, Stanford, like all the schools out here. So it's one of those things that I'm definitely going to consider. But at the end of the day, like aid is gonna be what's most important to me, I think, especially with like my goals and like being in nonprofit. So um, you know, it's going to come down to money. <laughs> so I, I really do think it's going to be that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I also think like, I never even thought about Yale. Cause again, Yale's Yale. So <laughs> when I submitted my application, like I got my interview request and it was just like, Oh, <laughs> I was like, okay. But then I was like, let me not think about it because I don't want it to be something that's like, I'm just mulling yeah, over, over and over. And then I got accepted the week after. So it was really, really quick. And Honestly, I think um, it's one of those things that I never really considered it. So now that I kind of like, I'm sometimes just sitting around and I'm like, oh, wow, like I have like this big school that like I could potentially be going to. But yeah, I, 
I think it's going to come down to those two, if I'm being honest. Well, no, that's awesome. That's a good If two. I get in, if I get in, if I don't get in, probably going to be Yale. <laughs> yeah. And well, and it is a legitimate consideration because like it is across the country. And if you see yourself ultimately being in California, Stanford is worth it. Like if it were Santa Clara, I'd be yelling at you. But um, I, I don't think that's the, obviously you're, you're not considering um, that. But yeah, did you, are you still waiting on Berkeley or is that kind of out of the picture now that you have an offer at Yale? So, yeah, I mean, I, I got into Berkeley already, so that was really nice. I think it was kind of like one of those really happy moments for me. Like I still, even if it came after Yale, I think it was like a school that I had always wanted to go to. So right. it was a really like nice, especially because that was a school that I got flat out rejected last year, like not even a wait list. And then this year getting in, it just felt like really nice, like almost like a big accomplishment, you know, on my end. Um, but again, I think when it comes down to it, it's it's one of those things where uh, Yale's Yale. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Yeah. yeah. Berkeley's a great law school, but they would have to make you a real tempting offer. Like they, They'd probably have to be paying you for like me to like <laughs> advertise or to advocate for that over like actual Yale law school. Um, and also it sounds like, I, I don't know, because we, you still don't know your financial aid package at Yale, but Yale is known for being, um, I think, better about financial aid than other schools. So hopefully it's, I mean, if like Yale's like relatively affordable, um, it seems like pretty obvious choice. Obviously Stanford's on the same tier as Yale, probably yeah. like step down, but like, it's not much. It's still Stanford law. Um, but yeah, that, that's really exciting. I mean, congratulations again. I know I've said it many times, but it is always awesome to see people succeed. Um, just because, yeah, especially when you do have a little bit of like, I don't know, not, I don't know if doubt's the right word, but like, you didn't think that like, this is what you were capable of, but like, you totally were. So it is nice to just see that come to fruition. Um, and yeah, I guess if you had advice for other people applying, like what would, like what big things would you put out there? Okay. Sorry. My dog's in here. She's making so much noise. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing that I would tell anyone that's applying is to never settle. And I think that that's one of the biggest things I learned this cycle. Um, I was so close to settling last year. And um, I, you know, I, I, if you know, like deep down that that's not the school for you, it's not going to, in hindsight, one year is not going to make a difference. Like I was like, wow, I, I look back on it and I realized like I had gotten an email from Yale in March getting rejected. And literally seven, eight months later, I got in, right? So mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you kind of see that quick growth and nine months isn't going to make a difference. Like a year in law school isn't going to make a difference. You have like your whole life ahead of you. So don't settle for something if you know that yeah. it's not what you truly want. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, let's say you're 50 years from now, you're in your legal career. Like, are you going to care if you started at 25 versus 26? Like, it's so negligible. Um, but that being said, I do get it like at our age, because I think we're, we might not be the same age, but I'm 24. Um, so I think we're like, I I'm graduated. 23. Yeah, pretty, pretty close. Well. Yeah, I just turned 24 in November. Um, but it does. Oh, happy late birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was a weird one. It was the first mid 20s, which is kind of a like mental shift where it's like, anything I accomplish now is just kind of normal, as opposed to like, when I was 21, <laughs> and like around you business people, are like, that's so cool. Look at you. And now they're just like, yeah, you're an adult. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, you're supposed to do adult things. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I'm no longer a prodigy. Not that I ever really was, but um, now <laughs> I'm really just a normal person. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does feel at this age, like people are starting to like, I don't know, have careers, not everyone, but like you you start to see people have real success. And I think mm -hmm. you're sitting at home, applying to law school, taking another year, it feels like the end of the world. Cause it's like, my friends are like working at like Goldman or like they're doing like 
they're in like grad school or something. It's like, I'm just sitting here at home, but it really is the biggest difference you can take just to take another year. Um, yeah. Real quick, uh, Ram, he runs the law school admissions in LSI Reddit. He wrote like two sentences on this that I think are just like very powerful, um, which he said, when you're just out of undergrad, it doesn't feel good to stay at home for a year work and study for the LSAT when your friends are moving up in the world. You know what else doesn't feel good? Being 28, earning $55,000 a year and paying $2,000 a month to service your debt of which 182,000 remains because you felt uneasy about taking a year off at 22. And I'm just like, I, I couldn't have said it any better than that, which is basically yeah. like, don't rush into this. At least if you rush into it, like we're not gonna say the school, but I know the school you would have, you wouldn't have made 55K out of it if you wanted to, you could have made more than that. But for people thinking about like going to like Chapman School of Law, which I can say, cause I went to Chapman, um, not the law school, but the undergrad, uh, you're not going to be making $200,000 graduating in all likelihood. So like, don't go there and pay so much money. Um, mm -hmm. Chapman also is one of the, I'd say, predatory law schools. They do a thing where they accept people in conditional scholarships. Then they put them all in the same section so that necessarily some of them have to lose their scholarship, which is really gross. Um, yeah. It's not even like to spread them across the three. They're like, you guys all fight against each other. So half of you will have to lose your scholarship, which is kind of wild. But um, That is so messed up. I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, these are the things you learn about when you do admissions all day. You learn about like the really gross schools um, that, and they all have to talk, which is kind of where um where yeah, I like really additional scholarships are scary. I've seen some people get those and they like lose them, and I think that's one of the the most predatory things that law schools do as well. Yeah, and the other thing is you just don't know how you're going to do in law school. Even if you were a good student undergrad, like I've heard, I haven't been a law school. But I've been talking to a few one else um that I worked with like the year before I worked with you. Um, which is like kind of my first, well, they're my second cohort, but I had very few people in my first year. Um, and they're, they've all told me they were all good students, like all like 3.7s plus in undergrad, some of which had substantially higher GPAs. And they're all like, this is so much harder than I ever thought it could be. And they're not at like Harvard competing with Harvard students. Um, they're at like, you know, pretty average law schools. One was at Syracuse, one's at Gonzaga. And they're smart and they're working hard, but they're like, yeah, getting a 4.0 is like not what it is in undergrad. It's like, one of them even said, like, she's like, I'm, I'll be glad if I get an A. Like, I'm not expecting anything. And she's been working hard. Like, she's doing like 40, 50 hours a week of just LSAT, not LSAT, law school study. Um, so that's the other thing. We're like going to these lower ranked schools on conditionals or even just going there. We're like, if you don't graduate at the top of your class, you're not getting the offers that you might need to pay off your debt is wild. Whereas won't be a problem if you go to Yale, because I think Yale, you, there will be someone knocking at your door to hire you regardless of where you graduate. Yeah. Um, have you, I have heard anecdotally, Yale doesn't do grades, do they? Is that true? Or? They don't, yes. I've been connecting with some other current students. So that's one of the nice things about them is their first, and I think that that's another thing that I'm not sure if Stanford does, but it's one of the things I'm definitely thinking about is your first semester, you don't get any grades. It's just a pass or fail. So that's really nice because it's like you're learning and you also get to meet people. So it's like, I don't know. I think it's a nice thing that they do that. And then after that, they do like the high pass, pass, low pass type thing. Okay. But they say that like at minimum students get a low pass and most students get a pass. So that that is nice. And I think especially myself being a first gen student, like I'm definitely going to need that little crutch, you know, especially when I first enter law school. So I, I think that that's something right. really they have. Well, that, that really is nice because it gives you that semester to adapt. And like, I don't know if I went to law school, I think there's a decent chance. I think I would do well my first year. But I don't know. Like you just can't know because you've never done it. And but I know that I would do fine my, my two L year. I know I could get a 4.0 if I wanted to after I knew what I had to do. It's like, that's just how undergrad was for me. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm delusional, but the, the point is- No, that, I am the same way, um, but I'm like, maybe I'm delusional too. <laughs> but like, also that first time, you just don't know what you're getting into. Like, you might be like you might be working really hard. I worked really hard in undergrad when I started and I got a bad GPA because I was stupid. I was doing like the most unnecessary things. Um, I used to do all the readings. Like, 
I, you said in public affairs, I don't know if it was similar to policy, but we get like 50 page readings for like a night and you didn't have to do them. You had to get like one main point from it. And if you could just raise your hand in class and say that you were golden, but then we're like, your grade was, was like, you know, essays, discussion posts. I would spend so much time on my discussion posts, like in Canvas or I don't know if you guys had something. Similar. Yeah, we did. But I would crank out like a thousand words, which a thousand words isn't that hard. If you just sit down and start typing and just like, don't stop. Um, it takes like 10 minutes, but I would write those. My professor thought I was like the most engaged student. I did like maybe an hour of work per class per week. And I got a 4.0 just because like I was directed. And then when I was a freshman, I was doing like 40 hours a week and getting like a 2.9, which I was all STEM back then, which is a mistake. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> but also it's just like a poor usage of energy. Um, well, yeah, that's awesome. And then I also have to ask, is there any like terrible piece of advice you got from anyone? Which it could be me if you have anything you want to push back on. That <laughs> that you heard that like was just atrocious. No, well, I don't think it was a terrible piece of advice. Um, I think the one thing that everyone kept telling me was that I was going to regret if I didn't go to the school that I was accepted at. And I think for everyone, it was like, oh, it's a, it's a good school, and you don't know. Law school looks so different, and post affirmative action is going to look even different, like more different. So, like, I got so many people telling me that like the majority of people I think the the few people that were like no you need to reapply was like my significant other my best friend like everyone else was like no like you you need to consider going and I think that was probably one of the like everyone thought I was crazy they were like why are you putting yourself through the hell of taking the LSAT if you don't need to take the LSAT and I was like no because deep down I know like yeah like I knew that what I was capable of and I knew that like I've done like harder stuff in the past I think I can master a test like it was one of those things yeah yeah and I'm, I'm looking just at your evidence if there's anything else really interesting on here um yeah I mean it, it it's so I don't know this is like something I post but I actually kind of got like about once every six months I'll get like canceled on Instagram for some stupid post half the time it's my fault half the time it's people being overly sensitive because like you know I, I, when you post every day you are gonna make mistakes you're like yeah I probably shouldn't have said that um but then I also, like your post though, because I was, yeah. I was looking at your posts and they're very to the point. Like I kind of like someone to tell me straight up, like, Hey, you're making a stupid mistake. And that's why one of the reasons why I appreciated when like we spoke, because I was like, I felt like with everyone else, everyone else was like, no, you need to go to school. And you were like, no, actually like you're right in considering staying like yeah. another. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it is funny. Cause I think well, a lot of it comes from the law school admissions, like process is very complicated and it's not intuitive. Mm -hmm. So I think to people outside, if they don't fully understand the financial aspect or they still view law schools like med school where like everyone gets like an amazing salary post-grad and the differences between the schools is pretty negligible, but it's really not. The schools are very different. Um, so yeah, I, well, I'm glad I could help. I, I've gotten more tame in my posting. I used to post some intentionally inflammatory stuff because uh, it would do well for the algorithm. Like one thing I used to love to post every couple of months is if you can't make time for an hour for the LSAT, what makes you think you'll succeed in law school? Which is totally true. Like I completely- I tell, I tell people that now too. Like not but like it, that, but it, it's true. Cool. Well, a lot of it is also delivery and how you say it. Um, yeah. I used to do like kind of aggressive deliveries because you know, it would set people- Stand I also, out. <laughs> I also consider it kind of calling the herd because um, I'm not like the happy-go-lucky LSAT. I think I'm a very positive person. I've actually been told by a few people that when they meet me, they're like, you're a lot nicer than I thought you would be. Well, like, yeah, I'm not actually a jerk. I just um, don't want to like blow smoke into people and say like, no, you're totally crushing it. You're doing awesome. Um, like uh, everyone can succeed, but not with all study habits. Like some study habits lead to failure and that's just life. But yeah, so this time last year, I, I think actually on today, either the 29th or 30th of December, I posted about how affirmative action is likely going away. 
but that's not a big deal for applicants. I mean, it, it is a big deal, but it's also not. And that's like, hey, don't rush to apply this year. Um, even though, yes, the boost may go away, it's better to be a qualified applicant next year than to like rush to like get this artificial, maybe two yeah. or three point boost if you're being generous. Like it's really, it also gets overblown how big of a boost it is. Um, and I think, again, my admission yeah. cycle was representative of that in like, Again, my resume didn't change. Yeah, this year I took the LSAT, but I had a similar, like a comparable GRE last year when I applied. So it was yeah. one of those things where I was like, hmm, like I definitely think that taking the time to apply and presenting, like I, the one thing that I will say is like those people out there, the admissions consultants, I do say like, take your time and like present your best application. That is like the best, like one of the best advice you can get because that is so crucial. A, a poorly submitted essay poorly submitted like work and like poorly poor LSAT is not gonna like do you any favors and and really instead is. of like applying later in the cycle but submitting a better application and it is the little things too um yeah. like I hear them say on like various oh I found a typo on your resume um uh-oh I'll, I'll point that out to you later it's um you missed a space between one of your like m dashes and dates and the rest no I, I know I saw after when yeah. I once I submitted my application I was like, like I missed a couple of things <laughs> that's like very small compared to the average person the average application is like littered with typos and like a couple here and, and like that's a very small typo it's like a very like small formatting thing um mm -hmm. and there's like two of them but like the average person is just like I mean they're like using words incorrectly they're missing commas just like stuff that Grammarly would catch and mm -hmm. that's another thing I will say is like if you don't have Grammarly get it it's so powerful there's actually an admissions consultant where I, someone hired both of us and put us on the same document and I saw what he did and I also have Grammarly and I could see he was literally just doing all the Grammarly suggestions. I'm like, it's like, and he was charging 150 per edit. I'm like, and I actually don't think that's crazy if you're like doing it for content and everything and really going through and like really spending your time on it because you can leave a ton of thoughts and like really send someone in the right direction. But just to do the Grammarly edits, it's like, damn, that's like $10 a month, five if you're a student. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a scam, but um. Not say like don't hire an admissions consultant, but you know if you're going to make sure you're actually getting your money's worth because it's a lot of money for editing, which you definitely want to like get value out of whatever you're paying. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean it's yeah ha having like polished stuff like you don't have any like big things, nothing that like I was really having to look for like the small things I found, and like your fonts are consistent. Where you use italics, you use italics every time. It's not like a here and there. And so many people like they have it one place and they don't another, and it just like catches your eye. And you're like it's small it doesn't say anything about them as a person but it's just like I will say this though um yeah. I did only submit two pagers for like the schools under HYS um though I did a one pager for uh HYS because they specifically have another section where you can write about like work experience which is where I spoke to my college work experience but I think like that was a difference that I made this year and it was because last year I didn't read the rules. Like I submitted the same as like resume to Yale when they specifically say, don't make it longer than a page. Like they say it in the, in the, this year I saw it and I caught it and I was like, oh, let me make it a page. So that's the ones that I submitted. And then for um, the other schools that had a section to like include extra work experience, that's where I added it instead of submitting both pages. Well, it is tricky because some schools ask for different things. Like it's one of the things I heard on the um, Miriam and Christy podcast that I thought was odd was, mm -hmm. um, so I've always been a hard one page, like, let's cut it down. And I think it was um, the Dean of Harvard. She said that they want to see every position you've held because they don't want any um, gaps in your resume. And like, yeah. I've always told people like, no, let's get down to one page, have the most relevant stuff. Everyone has like 30 positions. Well, not everyone, but like the point is people have a lot of stuff. And if you always list every single thing, it gets really long. But 
So you occasionally you get contradictory advice, but like some people say one page, very clean, very short. And then others are like, no, list everything. We want a comprehensive idea of who you are. So also there's not, I guess, a not, not a lot of universals. And um, I mean, there are some universals of admissions. Don't trauma dump. But look, definitely, I would say that's the other thing that I did is this year I made like a little Excel sheet and I added each of the requirements for each school because yeah. I was like, I'm actually going to like dedicate time to each app and making sure that it's like, the best app so please please doesn't take too long just google like each school the requirements that they have they will literally tell you and that's when i think another difference that it made because i was submitting the same material to like all the schools i applied to last year without paying attention that e like to the fact that each school had their own individual like they had extra essays optional essays like they had little stuff that you could add and they specifically told you we want you to list everything or we only want you to list a page so that's very important to do because if not you're just throwing money in, in the trash like don't do that because you're wasting time on an app right yeah and it's also um one of those things where they really don't like when you don't follow directions like that's another thing i picked up from the podcast which like um the thing that gets me is the amount of people that don't have a two-page essay for their personal statement is incredible like guys this is not like a suggestion. They're really asking for two pages and 2.1 is not two. They have to scroll out of that third page. And when they're scrolling for like your last sentence, they're thinking, oh, they've gone over limit. So yeah, just be careful. I think, um, you know, whatever idea you have can probably be shortened and following the directions is so huge. Like it probably won't be a, I, I guess if like at the lower schools where like, if you're a 170, 3.9 and you're applying to like Colorado or I went to undergrad, like they're probably not going to care if you slightly disregarded directions, but if you're on the fence at any school, they're just gonna be like, oh, this person's not even listening to what we told them to do. Why should we admit them if they're not gonna take our direction seriously? Um, but little things like that are kind of, yeah, I would definitely advise if you're applying listening to all those podcasts, just with the caveat that I would say the Miriam and Christie one is directed towards like Harvard, Yale, Stanford applicants. Like some of their advice doesn't really apply to like Oklahoma State. Um, it's a little different kind of a game. It's so numbers oriented. They're just begging for applicants that are qualified. Whereas like Harvard and Yale, they have an abundance of qualified people. Um, but yeah, I guess, uh, what else are you up to until um, you matriculate in the fall? Are you just going to keep working at MALDEF and all that fun stuff? Yes, I am. I'm going to be applying to some fellowships. So hopefully I hear some good news for some of them. Because um, I, I kind of want to go to a new city or like try something new um, before I start undergrad. So that that's something I'm looking forward to. I just submitted um, an application for SEO. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's like a... I think I have, um, was, I think it was on, no, no, this sounds familiar. Cause I remember the acronym was like, you know, search engine optimization, but it's not that, um, oh, interesting. Yeah. This, this looks cool. Yeah. So and if you want to mention it to any students that are interested in it, but that's something I'm uh, applying to as well as like Sambit and another one, I don't remember the name, Greenwald, something, oh, wheel and legal innovators. So I'm going to be applying to a few of those and then hopefully see. And I guess just waiting on the rest of the schools, I'm like, it's kind of exciting because I'm kind of like, oh, who's next? Yeah. Like, it's it's a much better cycle this cycle because last year was like, oh, I, I can't wait to get like my next rejection email. But this time yeah. it's like kind of exciting because I'm looking forward to the next acceptance. <laughs> yeah. And the pressure is off. So at this point, even if every other school rejects you, which they won't, but even if they did, mm -hmm. um, it's fine because like you already have offers that you're happy with and like it will go well um yeah and I guess you also I remember back when we met it was June which I had just gotten a new puppy I think you said you had recently gotten a dog as well was it when did you get your dog yeah I got a dog in June actually too she's she's the one that keeps coming in right now she's she's a mess but <laughs> how, how's your dog adjusting um he's doing well he's uh still not very well trained which is kind of a 
I don't know. Like it's my fault in hindsight. Um, entirely. And well, and, and my girlfriend's like both of us. Um, yeah. but he he's good. He's a little Chihuahua Terrier mix. So he has a lot of personality. Um, and I think we've decided that he won't really be a Chihuahua Terrier mix if he's well trained. So I think we're just gonna let him be a little brat because it's kind of funny. Um, kind of not. Like there are some issues that we have to deal with, but you know, we all have yeah, everything. My dog's like she's bratty too, and she gets everything that she wants. So I'm. She's something else. Like she fully thinks she's an adult. She comes into the kitchen, demands her food when it's lunchtime. Like she's something yeah. else. <laughs> when, what kind of dog is she? She's a um, poodle terrier mix. Oh, okay. So also a little cute one. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's uh, up to about 20 pounds and yeah, he, he's a little bit of a menace. Um, but <laughs> he he's, uh, my girlfriend actually just, he's starting his diet today. Apparently. I don't think he's chubby. I think he's just kind of like a puppy. Like, you know, they're like a little chubby, Um, but she thinks he's fat. So He's not getting his um food anymore, which actually might be a problem because during LSAT class, sometimes he'll have to hang out with me because she's like off doing something. She's like, hey, can you just watch the dog? You're just sitting in your office. I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, and so I give him these little treats to keep him um like preoccupied. I'm like, hey, go eat one in your corner. But the issue is he knows that now. So he'll just sit right next to me, look up at me and bark at me, like, hey, I want food. Um, which I don't acknowledge him because you know, you don't want to re hurt, like reinforce the bad behavior. And if he learns that it works, he'll keep doing it. But my girlfriend, on the other hand, is happy to indulge him and say, oh, our cute little angel wants food. Let me give him something. So he's learned that it works. So he'll just sit there and bark at me like while I'm trying to do LSAT. And I'm just like, this can't work. Like I have people paying to be here. I can't have like a dog like, interrupting. Class. Yeah, my dog came in when I was taking my LSAT too, twice. Like I closed the door and she was like fine at it. It was so annoying. I was like, oh my gosh. And then she finally got in. And then she like sat there and like looked at me like while I was taking my test. I was like, oh dear God, I hope she doesn't bark. <laughs> yeah. And um, we can cut this out if you want to. But I was just going to ask, you said you're doing the LSAT thing. It says on your um, resume, it's free. Are you still doing the free stuff or is it paid now? Um, It's a mix of both. So I'm like helping out some friends that I do have, but it's on and off because they're kind of like, I don't know. They, they're kind of going through like their, I don't even... I don't know if they want to pursue law school fully. It's one of those things where like, they're like, right. oh, can we do tutoring again? So it's one of those things. And then I'm also, I picked up a couple students, like two that I have that I'm just doing like LR with. Because again, it's like, you know, one of those sections that that's why I liked your class a lot. Because I think you were like one of those people that actually um, really focused in on like LR. And like, I think that was very helpful because I don't think like you can teach games as much as like games, like we talked about it, like you have to learn it. But like, I like that. Like oh, You just have to go. Yeah, you have to sit down and do them. Like I can tell you how to do games all day. Unless you like sit down and do a hundred of them, you're just not gonna get better. Whereas like with yeah. LR, it is approach. Like it's just like you're looking for the wrong thing, which can really mess people up. Um yeah. So it's kind of like that, but I'm I'm still I do like a free group every two weeks or so. And it's been pretty nice because I'm like I'm glad to see people um like learning and whatnot, but yeah, I'm like, I'm definitely going to cut it off right before I go to law school because I do know, like, I've had, like, the yeah. two students that are paying me, they're like, how long are you going to do it? I'm like, uh, until June, like, after that, I'm kind of done. I would have never been able to afford free tutoring, like, I mean, paid tutoring at all. It was, like, honestly, your course because I was like, oh, okay. And I and the fact that you did discounts, too, like, that was very helpful because I think yeah. you taught a lot. And I was also, I liked, like, we were in a class setting because, there were some things that other people caught that I was like, oh, I never thought of it like that. So that was nice too, in my opinion. Yeah, I think there is, um, like what, what I like about the, well, for one, it's scalable. Whether I have five people in class or 25, um, and you really don't hit like an issue in terms of how many people are there until a pretty high point. Because for one, some people watch the recordings. And then um, like two, a lot of people don't really talk in class. 
I don't really remember June that well, but if I remember correctly, um, I mean, most months it's like pretty quiet. Like most people just kind of come, they hang out, they do their LSAT, they answer the poll, but then they don't like really, like there's not a ton of questions in most classes. Um, you always have like a few people that are very vocal, but for the most part. I felt like our class, our class was pretty more vocal. Um, I, you specifically what? said, you were saying, this is like one of the more engaged classes that I've had. Okay. Okay. So we had her. Oh, we had her. That's a fun one. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I definitely remember some of these folks. Um, well, I, I remember a lot of people. Some people you don't remember because like if they just come to class and don't really talk, it's really hard to. Okay. Yeah. Because um, yeah, we had Michael. Michael always talks. Was he in June? Um, yeah, I, I still talk to Michael a little bit. Um, How is he doing? I mean, like, I don't know people that well, but like, are they all on track to apply or are some of them waiting it out? Some of them are. Um, some of them are on a more, like a lot of these people, I'm just not familiar where they're at. I know a few folks are taking a year. Um, which I often recommend. And then yeah. other I mean, a lot of people don't really keep me that posted in terms of what they're up to. Um, but yeah, for all the people I know they're doing well, it's it's not often that someone like falls off and they're like, I am quitting, applying, I'm not doing this thing. Like those people I think just tend to not text me um or email me. I mean, no one ever texts me. I hate getting on my phone number. It's one of the most annoying things. Um it's like I see all the other LSAT tutors do it. I'm just like, guys, this is a professional relationship. Like, I enjoy talking to you, but I do not want you texting me at two in the morning. Like, this is for my friends and family. Um, And I actually, because I, I did give it out a few times. And some people don't respect boundaries in terms of, like, just calling you at two in the morning. That's and so weird. It's just like, I I don't want to talk to you right now. Like, this is not. Yeah, this is I, your, I, like, your you time. You have a, like, this is like a job and, like, you need to treat it as such, like, a separate. Yeah, life. yeah. Like, and I try to be very accessible via email. Like, I try to get back to people really quickly. Um, but I also want to keep it to email. It's just like, I don't want to have 500 LSAT students in my phone. It's just such a headache. Um, and I did, I have, I don't know, like, I think I've texted two or three people, like my very first students that I ever worked with, I texted, but now I just don't, I'm just like, I don't have any interest in doing it. Or if like someone, um, they're like having a crisis, not crisis, but like really rethinking whether law school is for them or not. And they're like, Hey, talk on the phone. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, that's fine. Cause like, there's someone that like I knew and like, they were a tutoring person. Um, yeah, I guess, have you shifted how you see anything on the LSAT since you started teaching it? I think it does kind of open you up to a different perspective. Oh, on yeah, for sure. I think since then, I'm kind of like, well, for a while before I got into Yale, I was kind of thinking about retaking it. So I was kind of like, okay, well, I hit the score, but I was scoring like up to this. And I definitely think now I, well, for one, my LR has gotten even stronger. And I think, um, kind of just the way I see like RC for me that's something else that I realize now that I'm tutoring it it's like I don't really like talk to people as much like about it because I feel like it's one of those sections that if you do well in LR you're going to improve in RC I don't think like you need to devote as much time to it but like I remember like before I used to sit down and be like I need to understand everything that this passage is saying and if I don't understand everything that it's saying then I'm not going to do well, or I'm not going to know how to answer these questions. And now I'm like, no, I, you actually don't need to do that. Like you need to yeah. understand what it's telling you, but it's more so looking at the way the language works with each other and like how each paragraph is working to support one another. That's like very critical. Yeah. So that's I, one of the things I picked up on. I teach it. Um, I mean, what I tell people now is you have to understand it, but you don't have to like commit it to memory because you can always reference yeah. for details. If you, if you like get through a past paragraph or a sentence and you don't know what they said, that's a problem, but you don't have to be able to like tell me every single idea in there. Cause it's just, they're not going to ask you every single idea. 
I mean, do you have any like final thoughts or things you would tell anyone or do you feel like we adequately covered most of the stuff? I feel like we adequately covered mostly everything, but I do think what I was going to say is, yeah, if any, if you know anyone that's like, you know, going through this admissions process or like first gen or whatnot, or, you know, someone that's like uncertain, like kind of like how I was last year about like, should I commit once it comes time to it? Like, feel free to like shoot them, shoot me an email and like connect me with them. Cause I think sometimes it does help too speak to someone that might have gone through something similar you know so yeah I mean if you like... want to you can like put stuff out there um obviously if you don't want it like all the way out there like your contact info oh um, yeah, we can give like my email if you want okay. <laughs> yeah I'll put that in the show notes um for anyone who wants it if they want to reach out to Breeze and just talk to her directly um and yeah otherwise I'll potentially reach out after you're done with your one else semester just I'm always curious to hear how people's experiences go the yeah. other thing I'm talking to people is that I have no clue about law school. Like I'll say something that'll just be like, dope, you're wrong. I'm like, probably, like you know better than I do. Um, which is always, I think, a good kind of humbling to remind you that like I'm very good at the LSAT and admissions, but outside of that, things do kind of fall apart, which is um it's okay. Like, you did you just decide not to go to law school or are you considering eventually going? No, I'm never gonna be a lawyer. I, I would hate it. Um the so my first time was when I would do the legal passages on LR, I thought it was so stupid. I was like, this is all nonsense and made up and not real. Um, but um, the other thing is, I don't think I ever really wanted to be a lawyer. I think I was just like, you know, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm like, so I'll be a lawyer, which was kind of a stupid way to get there. But I I mean, there's a lot of people that do that. Um, and yeah, then I took like some undergrad law classes, which I'm sure are nothing like actual law classes, but I just thought they were so stupid. Yeah, and, that's what, that but, was the thing. I was being told by a lot of people, like, you don't know how next cycle is going to look like, like, you might not get in, but I was like, okay, well, I don't know. I just kind of thought like, why wouldn't I take the chance to take the LSAT, right? Like if I knew I could score well, like, why am I going to? Did you get into the Reddit bug? Like, have you been hanging out on there or? I did. Yeah, I was on it, but now I'm like kind of staying off of it. Cause I was like, it's not good like benef like beneficial for me right because it was one of those things where it kind of became like it's addicting like it's kind of fun to see and I think like when you're waiting for admissions decisions like I was kind of like okay let me go on there and like see what when everyone's hearing back but I think it's one of those places also where like you can go and like it kind of I don't know like makes it's you feel like not good about yourself but yeah I mean I've taken up a lot of your time I appreciate you chatting do you have anything you want to like leave people with for the ending no, I think we summed it up just by saying that, you know, don't settle for anything less of what you really want to achieve and don't go to a school that's going to not be maximizing what you want to do in the future, right? You might think, oh, I want to do big law and I'm going to do this, but chances are your thoughts are going to change. Like a lot of people go into law school and honestly, like all the attorneys at my job, even though they're all nonprofit, they were like, yeah, they started off wanting to go into like IP or do something else. And they transitioned over because they were like, yeah, I got there and I realized I was really bored in these classes. So it's one of those things that you don't want to go to a school if you don't know like for sure what you want to do after. Awesome. Well, thank you, Breeze. Yeah, of course.